0: Hello, this is Ludmila Pagodina and KM Voice, and we have a guest today, born in Manchester, living in Berlin, Mark Reeder, who is musician, record producer, and protagonist of the film B-movie Lost and Sound of West Berlin. I introduce probably in Russian what's going on here. Всем привет. У меня скрипит стул. Мы начали нашу трансляцию подкаста с Марком Ридером. Сегодня мы будем говорить с Марком. Вот он сидит здесь прямо с нами. И делаем мы это только потому, что Гёте-институт помог нам его сюда привести. Игорь очень рад, что мы это сказали. Спасибо <laughs> большое Гёте-институту. И дальше мы будем продолжать на английском, потому что русскую версию вы услышите, прочитаете уже в переводе впоследствии. Все, кто сегодня с нами, может задавать вопросы по-русски или по-английски. И в комментариях и Альберт нам будет их в процессе зачитывать Или не будет The first question I wanted to ask you is going to be a common question but I can explain then later why I asked that question I want to know your first impression Maybe that explains your first impression because we see it in the fog Your first impression of Minsk
1: My first impression of Minsk, I've not seen any of Minsk. I know,
0: I know, but maybe... I've
1: seen the road and the airport to the hotel. Maybe
0: there's something in the air.
1: It's called dry ice. You know, I've not seen anything of Minsk. It's the first time I've ever been here, so I'm quite intrigued to see what's awaits me. I've seen the immediate surroundings around the hotel, this kind of art complex part here, Mm -hmm. what's going on, which I think is really, really cool and very interesting.
0: Why I'm asking this question is because lately it's a common thing to say that Minsk is New Berlin. Is New Berlin because mm. things start to happen finally like something mm. is changing slowly but me is one of the people who say that it is but I say it because I want it to be New Berlin not because it is already but it's because something you know it's like abstract thing you actually try to be inspired by
1: you have to chase those dreams so you know like by saying it, yeah, yeah, exactly. it is, is almost part of it being that and and I think that every single city has an opportunity to be that really you know Mm -hmm. it just depends on the people who want it so much that they actually do something about it and as I've seen from the five minutes that I've been here there are people actually doing something about it you know it's not going to be the new Berlin it's going to be Minsk but it has that sort of spirit of investing your creativity in in the arts into Mm -hmm. the city which invigorate and attract other people to come
0: and I can tell that if you are sitting here already then me talking about Berlin for a few years give you know some results
1: obviously in Berlin for such a long time I've seen things come and go and the way Mm. things go and the way we did what we did in the 80s it was only out of necessity because we wanted it to happen we weren't thinking oh we want to have a new scene or anything it just emerged as that and with longevity and distance you can see what it was and i think that is manifests itself here quite easily really that everybody obviously wants the same thing and the fact that we're doing this it's just a, a way of giving people some inspiration really You know, the people who come to see what we did on the screen, they can maybe be inspired by B-Movie and take it a step further and put that into their everyday lives here. It
0: is like a little bit of repetition or quotation maybe, because it's already happened, you know?
1: It's not a repetition. It's just taking the idea and the ideology Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. stuff of what we had back then and implementing it into a modern-day setting in Minsk it's not like you're going to have a band that's going to replicate and the about normal area no it's like you're doing your own things with your own thoughts and your own creative ways and that is what is important mm-hmm. I must say I have, a, I have a problem always with comparing things right. people always compare stuff to each other and I think well, it's not really like that it's like every single thing has its own individual mm-hmm. root and background ideology that follows it and I think that you have to look at it in the context of where it is and what it, what it is and I think that is easier then you don't have to compare it to anything else. It's what it is here.
0: This is true. I can tell definitely that there is one thing in common between Berlin and Minsk now, but this is something in common with exactly Berlin those days. So we have an invisible wall We have uh, like West and East Berlin every day in our lives, and we don't know where the clash is going to happen. So we try to leave like we want to leave in West Berlin, but every day we meet something from the East that can stop it, or, you know, or it can somehow restrict the action or.
1: But that's what it's all about. It's about getting around those obstacles. Living in West Berlin in the 80s wasn't fun, you know? It wasn't like it was loads of fun, you know? It was constantly plagued by all these things that we had to kind of, like get around really i mean mm-hmm. the simple fact that your heating didn't work at home because you're too late to go and buy coal to heat your flat drove people to go into clubs and okay. bars and hang out there because it was warm and you met everybody else who'd also failed to make the coal merchant six o'clock you know so it was all about that kind of thing it wasn't like you know every day was great and fun okay was, but you did these things out of boredom you know like you didn't want to be bored meeting people in a club or in a bar and you got drunk or whatever and you chatted about things and things came to your head the ideas came let's do this oh yeah let's do this and they just manifested themselves and because you try you want it to happen you make it happen and that's all it's really about
0: oh I know that feeling very well yes have you ever you went to East Berlin no when you've been
1: yes I went many times to East Berlin
0: oh yeah yeah and how was it I mean why did great. you go why did you go because
1: curiosity you know uh-huh. curiosity was the thing which made me want to go to East Berlin because nobody that I met in the west of Berlin really encouraged me to go to East Berlin and the few people that I met who'd actually been to East Berlin mm-hmm. they'd only ever been to see their relatives so it wasn't like they went over for parties they didn't go over to meet young people they went over to deliver washing powder and coffee and Coca-Cola you know and eat cheesecake and ersatz, drink ersatz cafe at home you know with their auntie and they didn't really kind of like delve into the kind of like the subculture of, of what East Berlin was about in any way or even the overt culture for that matter so they didn't know anything about that so they never really encouraged me to go over and and I actually first went over like about the second the third day that I arrived in Berlin, I went into East Berlin because I thought, well, now I'm here, I might as well see what East, this, all this business is about right. communism, you know. I grew up in a very socialist family on the periphery of Manchester, the last bit, and so I'd grown up with this kind of like idea. I think I came from collecting stamps as a child. Every time I got stamps from places like Hungary and Czechoslovakia and all the kids were always smiling and happy on the stamps right? and it was like, <laughs> you know, and I grew up in this kind of miserable Manchester which was grey and everyone was on strike and everyone was unemployed and there was no money and I look at these stamps of these kids and communist countries and they were always laughing and smiling and looked like they were having a great time and I always thought that maybe they had a better life over there so to actually come to Berlin to be confronted with East and West yeah. and that I could just go step over into the East and see what it was like Check it, it was really it was intriguing you know and I wanted to find out so I went over and found out and I was fascinated I was fascinated with this parallel world on the opposite side of the wall you know there were a lot of similarities to the West Few were kind of like so overtly, like the language is the same, you know, a bit of the mentality was the same. Somehow the, the way they dressed was vaguely familiar, but it wasn't exactly the same. They had these weird little cars made out of cardboard. Cardboard? And, you know, Trevance, you, know, like, like, you know, it was a, a bit weird. And they had aluminium money food, which tasted like school dinners, dinners that you get at school when I was in, living in England. And it was all very weird. And I, and I just got fascinated by the idea of like, I'm sure there's more to the periphery that I can see right now, you know, the, the, the surface of what I can see right now. I'm sure there's more to that and so I I made my attempts to try and find out if there was any kind of underground music scene or anything happening there. The only thing I got to see initially when I first went over, you know, I went to some of these places like clubs where, and um, I saw these like ageing blokes with like manes of hair dressed in wrangler jeans jackets and trousers flair trousers kind of like playing this kind of musical music and blues of some sort and it was all a bit 1972 and I'd been there as a child you know I didn't really need to have that again in my life right. and then I thought oh, there must be something else there must be you know what do young people listen to people of my age what do they listen mm-hmm. to I'd just come from Manchester I'd just experienced the explosion of punk rock right? and I'd been in the vipers nest of punk rock you know suddenly I come to East Berlin, and there doesn't seem to be anything remotely resembling punk rock at all to be seen. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in West Berlin a little bit too. I mean, oh, Sex Pistols have been to Berlin and Buzzcocks and stuff, but you know they knew what it was musically. Mm-hmm. They'd heard about it. Yeah. Whether they all were into it is another matter. But you know they were still they all were still wearing like you know army jackets with like long hair and beards that like Jesus. You know, in the east there must be something. To him. And I one day found this kid on the train on the underground, and he looked a bit punky with his spiky hair and drainpipe trousers. And I asked him like. Is, any punk rock concerts here? And he looks at me like, oh, we don't have anything like that here. It's all forbidden. I said, where you look, he's like, you no, know, I just got the look from the television. You know,
0: they got it on the television. How come? He'd been
1: watching West German television. It wasn't exactly encouraged to watch West German television, but people did it. You know. Okay. I just gave him my address and if you hear of anything, here's my name and address, so I can write me a postcard. And I didn't hear anything at all from this guy ever again. But I got a letter six months later from a girl asking to meet me in the Palace de Republic, which was the, the parliament building inside. There was a round cocktail bar and I could meet her there. So I met this girl and she just really wanted to see who I was and what I wanted, yeah. sounding me out. And, and I got involved in this group of friends of hers and they were all punks in East Berlin.
0: Do you still go back to Manchester these days?
1: Oh, I only go back a couple of times a year to see my mother and my my Mm -hmm. sister a few friends who live there is
0: there anything left of the Manchester that you know a
1: few buildings perhaps mm-hmm. really it's not anything like it used to be even the way people are yeah. their attitudes and the mentality and and everything has is, is been purged out of what Manchester used to be
0: but still I mean some musicians <laughs>
1: are still around oh yeah of course Johnny Marr still playing New Order's still playing they don't have this vibrant scene as such anymore mm-hmm. it's just like bands all trying to become something back in the 70s you made music because you, were, you had to you had no other option really you know you were either bored and sitting at home or you formed a band and maybe you'd be able to play and make some money and if you were lucky you'd get signed and could flee whereas in Berlin people didn't have that attitude at all people had already fled to Berlin so there was no necessity to flee and become a superstar. Mm-hmm. It was like, let's just make music to express ourselves. So there's a big difference. This energy that we had back in the 70s, that's really kind of dissipated from Manchester. Because there's not that many places anymore where you can play. So it's not like there's thousands of bands are every week playing, you know.
0: And from England, right now, excites you the most?
1: Uh, I don't know.
0: Of any genre?
1: I really don't know. I mean, like, I listen to quite a lot of music, so I like this album, that album, but there's not any kind of one band from the UK where I say, wow, that's really fantastic, I really have to buy that, whatever. I listen to music from other places find uh, things that are happening in Berlin which is is very interesting Mm -hmm. but also you know just recently I met this Czech guy called Oliver Tor and he's got like a modular synthesizer project that he, he has and he's really creative and really interesting you know and he's from Prague you know it's like Okay. more exciting for me you know, I'm like Emika from she's actually British but she lives in Berlin she just made a new album, it's a really beautiful album you know, there's like plenty of things happening in other parts of the world
0: Do you go places to find your music? or are you searching through the internet?
1: It's a bit of everything really I mean, you know people But you send do your me, research People send me stuff mm-hmm. all the time to listen to I'm trying to listen to everything that I get sent it's not always very easy and I search myself, you know and luckily my wife, she's very active as well she's always listening to stuff when I'm not there Uh, She'll say, have you heard this? Or listen to this. So just play it, you know, and and we kind of like bounce off each other. I find that there's so many interesting things happening at the moment.
0: Your label stopped working at some point, but now you sort of, was it active lately or?
1: In 2008, I stopped MFS.
0: But now you started again,
1: no? Yeah, I got bored. I just got bored. I got bored. I got bored with the way that distributors wanted me to only make one kind of music, release one kind of music, which I didn't want to release since like, 1999 basically Mm -hmm. I said I don't do trance anymore I want to do something else so I got bored with the way the distributors treated me I got bored with the way the artists were kind of complacent and not active and they thought like you know that i could just offer them a superstar status on a silver plate without doing any work and, and i got bored with that and i just got bored with generally just like the way the music scene seemed to be going it was kind of like just standing on the same place you know in my life trends only happened for about three or four years mm-hmm. you'd have the birth of it it'd kind of be mm-hmm. a crescendo and then it'd kind of die off and something else would take its place as well as fashion trends for that matter you know they kind of went hand in hand and they kind of go along together until you get to like 1990 with the fall of the Berlin Wall and suddenly techno appears and it seems to be the only thing then the 90s you know it stopped then I'm not saying it's a bad thing it's like where does it go how do you push your boundaries and what do you look for new influences do you bring those influences into your music when I went to China to show my movie I did a two month tour of China and showed B movie throughout China I played at a festival there and I saw this band of young 22 year old guys and they kind of mixed techno with rock with psychedelic with a few other things kind of like they mix all these things together other kinds of music that they didn't actually even know existed all these kind of less input this influences that they've got in this very short space of time there's obviously had some kind of like it's rubbed off in the way they've composed their music and I found it very quirky and interesting and different and, you know, you've got to get used to the voice as well you know, like the voices of Chinese people they speak very high, you know, there's no bass tones you know, it's very high the way they speak, so you have to get a bit used to that you know, you have to train your ear to kind of get used to that but I thought it's different, it's exciting it's like something which is new to them the Chinese have never really had a music scene fashion scene or anything really you know they, yeah. they have scenes and, but it's all people impersonating hip hoppers or something like you know you've seen it all before it's like they're just wearing some kind of designer outfits you know it's like, and it's not anything that they've created it's already presented to them uh, whereas with Stolen I got the impression that at least they're trying to do something different in their little town which is called Chengdu mm-hmm. a small town of only 11 million people but you know it's like For them, it's like they're creating their own little scene out of the fact that they, because they want it, they need it, and you know, there's a group of people that they associate themselves with. I got this feeling this is like in Manchester in, in 1976 77, where people wanted to do something. There was no scene in Manchester in 1976, there was no punk rock scene in Manchester in 1976. Yeah. It was Pete Shelley and our Devoto saying, We're really interested in this, and we'd like to do a gig with them because we want to show that we can play as well. Right. So we'll do our own gig. And that became this legendary punk rock concert with the Sex Pistols, which kickstarted this whole punk rock thing in the UK. If the Sex Pistols hadn't gone to Manchester, you would never know anything about punk rock today. They've disappeared. Possibly, you have this one aspect of like how that one gig changed mm-hmm. the face of British music forever. And I think that have stolen this band from China. The band worked with me on a few demos, and then they said we want to come to Berlin and record an album with you. And so they came to Berlin, and I was thinking, what am going to do with this band? You know, like I will let them. I put all my energy into making their record you know we intensely worked on this record and the idea was what are you going to do with it Mm -hmm. you could just like throw it into the wind and no one will ever know that you exist and I thought well I've I've seen I've put a lot of effort in it out of myself as well into this record I'll reignite MFS and mm-hmm. give them a release on a Western label, which will automatically boost their credibility back home. And also the fact that I've done it on my label and reinventing my label, whatever, it attracts interest generally in the media. You know, a lot of people are interested. Like, why have you done it? Like, you just asked me the question, you know what? Mm-hmm. I think it's not because I want them to make millions of you know dollars or anything. It's, it's right, like the the, the idea is yeah. is to give them a platform that they wouldn't necessarily have, and hopefully this will encourage other people to do. For a country that's so huge as China, they have so few people making music. Really? Yeah. You know, I hope that I can, if stolen, make of any kind of ripples in the music world in the West. At least it will encourage the kids in China to also have a go and be part of this Sino scene, you know.
0: You're still listening to Ka
1: and Voice with Mark Reader. Do I know any Belarusian musicians or artists? I don't overtly know any. You know, I might know some from the far past. Do you want
0: to go back with a pack of a little? Like, do you want <laughs> my people my to send you records. some, some, yeah, <laughs> some links <laughs> or some? Oh yeah, links are
1: yeah? good. Yeah, links are good. If they've got some really good stuff, I'm sure there's some really interesting music here to I've, I've, I've okay. discover, and because I've never been here before, it's a really nice opportunity to go record shopping tomorrow.
0: CDs, you can find Belarusian music, but I think that I
1: collect CDs as well. And yeah. I'm not just the vinyl purist, you know. I collect CDs as well.
0: Yeah, you play CDs here, right? I
1: play CDs, yeah. I'm I'm very old school. You can't carry around tons of records anyway, right? Some can. Some can.
0: What's going on between Berlin musicians and Asian wives? I know at least five people, including Blixa, Jim, and a few more, and you.
1: I don't know. I I never think about anybody else. (laughs) I did a party in London in a club called The Gallery and she just so happened to go to visit a friend who was living in London and they were decided to go out and they came to my party and I met my wife that way. But it wasn't like, you know, I didn't go look, I didn't go to some kind of internet platform and look for her online.
0: So there's nothing about like uh, great PR skills or anything, you know, that Asian knowledge, like that's... No, they have, that well, my
1: wife has good cooking skills. <laughs> that's
0: nice.
1: My wife likes cooking and she likes cooking for me. She cooks Asian food, it's delicious. Can't bite in her. Restaurant we can do
0: fish and chips for her as well. I,
1: could, yeah. <laughs> I find western foods a bit bland sometimes, you know.
0: Well, that, I just wanted, you know, to know. I'm going to ask Jim next time he's here as well.
1: But yeah, it's like, um, yeah, my wife looks after me, you know. And I had an accident, about a very bad accident a couple of years back. I broke my spine and my shoulder. And she was a brilliant nurse, you know. She did really well.
0: I also wanted to ask, because the band you produce is from Asia, and also there was a nice independent Canadian, weird independent Canadian film about vampires. Called Suck. There was a hip hop and Alice Cooper in it. Mm. And there was a producer who gave up rock band for Japanese hip hop. know giving up techno for just producing
1: the <laughs> yeah i mean our world has become shrunk musically you know it's no longer vast distances which divide us anymore you post something up on soundcloud and it's actually available for everybody all around the world to listen to so well, that was never possible before our world of music fans from whatever genre it is you have instant access which is quite nice you know someone who lives in some little village somewhere in the middle of the belarus and the russian border or whatever can now access the, all the music that they want to hear that was never possible before. What
0: do you think would happen if you have never left Manchester?
1: Oh, I dread to think that. I don't think I'd be sitting here, that's for sure. I have no idea. I really don't know. You know, I left Manchester at a point where I felt that my life wasn't going to go any further within this city. I didn't have any intention to stay in Berlin. I only went to Berlin to buy some records. I didn't actually go there to live. But it was such a fascinating place that I had to discover more about what it was about. You know, capitalism, communism, slam together you know when i started going over to east berlin and i got to know these kids who were punks you know that opened up a totally different reason of being for being in berlin because i felt i'd been put there as a kind of i was obliged to help these kids discover the kind of music that i could listen to every day and i thought that 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 was a kind of vocation for me i don't say it now like this i did at the time i didn't you know at the time i just thought these poor kids you know they want to hear the music that i love and they can't buy it so i'm gonna smuggle it to them I never really kind of gave it any kind of like mystical thought of anything. It's only with, with sight like years and years later. It was just watching their faces, you know. It was watching the happiness on the face. When I knew I could do something to make them really happy. No money in the world could give you that, oh, that feeling, you know. It's like... I'd go to the shop I'd buy an album I'd record it the next day I'd go to East Berlin and I'd smuggle it into East Berlin and say I've just bought this it just came out yesterday and I knew that that one cassette would go to that friend and that friend and that friend and that friend And, that friend and So you
0: are know. one of those people who actually did that you had it in the USSR as well
1: I was one of those people yeah, who smuggled the cassettes into East Berlin and you know looking at their faces when they heard the new Pet Shop Boys album or something that was the best feeling they liked everything that was alternative that wasn't on the telly or on the the radio, you know, so it was like, you would, they were listening to a lot of things like Mark Harmon for example you know, from Soft Cell or you had uh, a lot of these synthesiser bands like the Human League and things like this, but the old Human League yeah. all these different things that they knew about they'd heard on John Peel's show mm-hmm. radio show, they couldn't buy it because it wasn't available in the record shops.
0: So is punk dead, or undead?
1: Oh, I think punk will never die. Really, the whole attitude of like punk rock manifests itself not only in you know just like the punk rock music, but this kind of attitude also manifests itself in different kinds of, of other music as well. In form, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a certain degree in hip hop, it's kind of quite punky, you know, yeah. in a lot of cases, taking away the kind of branding and everything. Mm-hmm. But it also manifests in other other kinds of music as well. This attitude of like we couldn't give a shit. Well,
0: I had. A- a little weird feeling about new trendy music. Like young people actually, you know, with facial tattoos and with, uh, usually it's like rap when they pose with guns because that's exactly, so music-wise, yes, that's like about like pushing borders and, and, you know, a little bit of challenge, you know, with people, with their reaction to you. But I thought that what punk is to me is opposite to guns and militarism and stuff like that in a way.
1: If you look at the Ramones as one of the first American punk bands. It's not really kind of any kind. The music's not about like killing people or anything like that, it's, you know? It's not about guns and drugs so much. And in the UK, certainly not, because we don't have a gun gun culture. So so it was. It's never been anything which has been attractive, so, or something a a status symbol of some sort. Unfortunately, this is something which has come from the United States, you know. And the United States have presented the world with their version of what hip hop should be. Others have taken it for their own culture, an imitation what they think is rap and cool. It's a very low common denominator of of things, really. But I think that yeah, you can express yourself in a certain way. in this rap way whatever but in reality you're just copying what the Americans are fogging to you which is their version of something and I think that bands they need to find their own identity they should stop wearing the, the hip hop garb because you're not American at the end of the day it's like only Americans shouldn't really be doing that really. they can do it fine you know but otherwise it's just another cop. it's like the Beatles you know when the Beatles became very famous every band wanted to be like the Beatles so they were everywhere around the whole world kind of like imitations of the Beatles. Don't think it has any strong message anymore. When I look at like how hip hop was and how rap music was at the very very beginning of the eighties and that was really interesting as a genre of music it was really totally American and something completely different. Mm-hmm. But now it's just something that they sell as a product. People driving fast cars, not sports cars and having sitting in villas, these black guys who are tons of gold and all this kind of gangster stuff and it's like well that's not really my kind of thing really.
0: As a person who pays attention to how he looks usually i mean the style and everything and uh what do you think the son of mclaren and like burning punk uh, items
1: i thought that was very sad that he felt he had to do that you know i know that he got support from vivian westwood on that mm-hmm. she thought it was great but to be honest i think it's very sad they could have auctioned all that stuff off and used that money to you know build a hospital or something or you know give it to a school you know like I said before I come from a very very working class family my family worked really really hard to scrape any kind of money together so it could exist Mm -hmm. to see someone do something like that I just think that's wanton waste
0: did you get into any trouble by wearing uniform ever? yes I did you should have it you're just like thinking hard to remember you know
1: it's not like an everyday occurrence that I get like picked up off the in the old days No, really people kind of thought it was weird first of all you know I smuggled uniforms out of East Germany which was not very Easy. To wear an East German uniform on the streets of West Berlin was very striking, you know. Well, not more striking
0: than wearing like, swastika after like the Second World War,
1: right? All right, in the movie, I tried to explain about the fact that when punk rock started, people like Susie from Susie and the Banshees and a few other people that I knew, you know, they wore, initially wore a, a Nazi armband that yeah. they made themselves more most of the time. The idea was to provoke, to provoke a reaction yeah. to my parents' generation, People who'd been in the war, yeah. fought this war, came back and told everyone that we'd won this war and that everything was going to be great. My generation had no work. I was very lucky. I had a record shop job in a record shop. and I studied to be a graphic designer, but I didn't do this job. I did it for about a year and then decided I didn't want to do it. Worked in a record shop. Now, most people I knew didn't have a job. And they had no prospects of getting a job. And wearing this armband and being kind of wearing this t shirt with a swastika on it was a way of kind of like provoking my parents' generation, saying to them, You go to Germany, and everything's really nice in Germany. The rich Germans who won the war. I thought, We won the war. Look at us, we've got no jobs, we're poor. And it was a bit of a provocation. But the problem was wearing this particular item of clothing and this symbol, it attracted the wrong signals, put out the wrong signals to the right wing of Britain who thought, Oh, the punks are on our side and we can come out of the woodwork and kind of watch ourselves and show ourselves. And suddenly the punks are like, well, no, wait a minute, that's not what we're about, really, you know? And so they disappeared very quickly. Maybe it was the first six months, maybe, then they disappeared. And then there was all these anti-fascist rallies that we had. Before every single punk concert, you nearly always had a reggae band on just to show that we accept our fellow Britons of whatever color or creed, or wherever they come from, it didn't matter. We were all in this together. And thankfully, that for me, it was like, well, why are you wearing this symbol so negative? And I just couldn't get my head around it, really, to be honest. It was like, it's not for me.
0: It's doubtful, yeah. So about uniform, did you get into any trouble?
1: Once I got I was wearing this like um German desert Africa Corps jacket and a pair of shorts. And I went to East Berlin to buy some vodka I think and um the East German police border police they went, like right, you come with us and they took me away. And interrogated me for a whole afternoon as to why I was wearing this outfit, of which I pretended that I had no idea what it was. You know that I I played the innocent card. You know, but really I didn't really get any kind of like real. You know, people just looked at me like, "What are you wearing? Like, why are you you wearing this? You know, oh why shouldn't I wear it? Give me ten reasons why I shouldn't wear it." Yeah. So why? (laughs) Because it's comfortable. Like, you know, it's got loads of pockets. <laughs>
0: okay. Any specific psychological reason for?
1: Well, you know, when I was a small child, parents didn't have loads of money to spend on... Remember, f- there was no such thing as designer clothing back then for like, working-class kids, right? But you spent £5 on a pair of shoes, you know, that was about the limit you were going to go. Not like today, where people spend hundreds of pounds on a pair of Nike trainers, you know. That, that world didn't exist at that point. My parents would just buy me, you know, give me money and say, go to the shop and buy some clothes. I wouldn't go to the normal shop and buy a pair of cord Trousers. I'd go to the army shop and buy a pair of army trousers because they were cheaper, and I'd have money left over to go and spend on something else. And they were hard working, and you know they could wear them all the time.
0: Okay, that sounds like a practical use.
1: It was only practicality. It wasn't because I was a <laughs> you know a militarist and I wanted to wear like Gestapo or something. It was out of necessity that I bought this stuff. Right. You
0: know. Well, I mean, I'm the person who's like my father's an officer, and I'm against like militarism. But I think the only good thing in uh, what they have an the army is sometimes like the clothes. That's the only good thing about it. Yeah,
1: the clothes don't kill you, you know. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> but then there comes, like, Russell Brand with a Hugo Boss joke. <laughs> but,
1: but but it's true. When I see people wearing Hugo Boss, I think, well, oh, you know, do they really know what the history is behind right. this design?
0: Okay, I'm going to check uh, what you've been up to from the 90s to
1: the 10th I did my label up until 2008 I did MFS up until then obviously you know, running a record label up then was a 24 hour a day job I didn't only just do the label I also did the bookings for the artists and mm-hmm. I was the tour manager and, and I'd also sit in the studio with them as well in I think 2007 or 8 I did a, a soundtrack actually it wasn't a soundtrack it was the sounds for a play Jörg Butgerite, called Captain Berlin vs Hitler right which is about...
0: I've seen the poster. It's like a
1: cartoon. It is
0: a cartoon. It's
1: a play. It was a play. So there
0: is no cartoon like that. It is a play. But
1: the poster for the play was done like an American cartoon. Yeah, I've seen it. Where Captain Berlin's punching Hitler. And, um... I did the sound, the sounds, the live sounds, you know, when you see the Hitler's brain kind of being wheeled out. It's yeah. like I, I had this kind of bowl of water and I would blow, bubbles into it and it blubble,
0: blubble, blubble, blubble,
1: you know, and all this kind of stuff, you know. And I, I thought it was really good fun and that's so why I decided to stop doing MFS and go back into music production because I, got, I had so much fun making the music for this theatre piece.
0: Well, I have definitely one game for you and it's called Time Machine. We just go back on exactly the same day, but in 1988. In Berlin, mm. where would you've been and what would you do on that day?
1: November the fifth, nineteen eighty-eight. It's yeah. a good question. I haven't the faintest idea what I was going to be doing on that well, day. I know what imagine. I did in, 19, in October, nineteen eighty-eight. Okay. We did the second Toten Hose and the illegal concert in nineteen eighty-eight. Nice. Um, which this time the concert was disguised as a. It was a concert for starving Romanian orphans. This was the in the church. This was the umbrella that we did this concert, in. and I had a band there called Division the vision Vision, a German the New Wave right? you know English band. Kind of. They, <laughs> wanted, they wanted to be that. Okay. They wanted to be the DDR's answer to Joy Division. Okay. Also, the play on the words is quite interesting as well. Division means division, but it also means division, as in separation. right? Oh. And the East German authorities were a bit kind of like... Can we allow them? Can we not allow them? Anyway, they did this concert with us for starving Romanian orphans in the churchyard. And you see in B-Movie, you'll see images of that concert because the second concert, we took a camera in, smuggled a camera into East Berlin yeah. and we smuggled the instruments of the nose into East Berlin because a friend of mine who was an American soldier had a car and the cars didn't get controlled so we could smuggle everything in that way. We did this concert and the priest said to us, well, the police are outside. We only invited 30 people.
0: And they were all orphans?
1: No, no, no. The The concert was for the orphans, it was a benefit concert, so the money that was generated from this gig would all go to the starving Romanian orphans. There's only 30 people invited, it's going to be a small affair, we get to this Churchyard, and it's like about 500, 600 people there. No one could keep the mouth shut, obviously. And the police were uh, sitting outside, and they said, "The Totenhausen can't play. We know they're gonna be playing. They can't play." We just said to the priest, "We'll tell everybody that they can't play, but tell them that a band from Dresden are gonna play in the place." And he's like, "What band from Dresden?" So like the stars, they don't know what you know. The police don't know what the Totenhausen look like. <laughs> we'll do it until they stop us. And so we played for three quarters of an hour, and then the police came and said, "All right, we know, you know, because it Out outroll these 600 people." obviously one or two or three or ten or whatever were Stasi informers and they obviously knew that they couldn't go through the whole concert without saying to the police we've just been watching the total nose and so we've played three quarters of an hour within that realm of that environment you never knew who was a Stasi informer that kid that I first met on the train and the underground with the spiky hair and the lilac trousers turns out to be when I got to finally see my Stasi file he turned out to be a Stasi informer and the first thing he did was when he, he wrote to his, his boss and said, I've just met this English guy. He's looking for the underground. And for them, that meant the political underground. And from that moment on, I was a man. Then from that moment on, they watched everything that I did.
0: You've seen your Stasi file. I'm
1: actually only allowed to see a fifth of my Stasi file. The rest of it, I'm not allowed to see. Uh, I have my reasons why, I'm um, suspicions why I'm not allowed to see it. But it's, in, it's got enough information in there to know what you know, what's going on.
0: Okay, another time travel will be in 1978 on the same day in Manchester, Absolutely, like 70s.
1: The 70s. Well, I was working in Virgin Records. I would be still in the shop. I worked there from morning till night because I was on my own. I'd go in the morning, get the records, put them into the shop, and then I'd just kind of like try and put the stock that had been sent into the shop while I'm opening the shop and serving the people and doing all these things. And then at the end of the night, I'd end up like having to cash up and. all the records into the shop into the shelves you know and then i'd go out i I might go and have something to eat very rarely i was taking far too many drugs at this point you know and and back in 1970 77 you know early 78 there were a lot of gigs you know there were a lot of places having gigs on punk rock gigs so it was quite exciting i could choose any one of them because i got into all the gigs for free
0: one last question what is being weird for you
1: what is weird yeah yeah I think probably perceived being normal is for me weird I think weird is being straight and being you know very conservative that's pretty fucking weird it's like being boxed in some kind of world the normal world I find that weird I don't live a normal life I know that only when I made B movie that I realised my life had been a bit kind of crazy compared to (laughs) everybody else's I think that weird is a perception really you can see someone on the street think, oh they're weird because they're dressed up in women's clothing or something like this you put that person into another group of people who are also wearing women's clothing and they're not weird you know it's like they're in their environment and i think that um, for me personally someone who's like super normal of everyday conservative that's pretty weird
0: do people consider you weird
1: i don't know You're,
0: nobody <laughs> ever called you something like that the only my wife <laughs> <laughs> cool thank you very much mo- you very welcome. welcome i think this is it you get close <laughs> спасибо <it now. laughs> <laughs> That was Ludmila Pogodina and Mark Reeder. We thank Goethe Institute for helping this interview to happen. Subscribe to our channel, support us on Patreon, and stay weird. <laughs>